Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is Internet of Things with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to shake up the status quo in your company's future with totally new sources of information that will change the way you run your business. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. And if you want to run simple with the game changers, you are in the right place. The buzz today, well, I'm a disco baby, disco era, so I have a little quote here from the late, great Donna Summer. The quote is, Hong Kong, beep, beep. What are we talking about? We're talking about the city, specifically smart cities, IOT. You're listening to Internet of Things Radio with Game Changers. So what are we talking about today? Well, there's so much hype surrounding smart cities and the Internet of Things. We're just going to call it IoT for familiarity. You may wonder if cities are really changing and if the IoT is just a bunch of hoop-de-doo or is it making an impact? Well, the answer to both is yes, cities are changing and the IoT has a lot to do with it. But the changes may not be where you're expecting them. What if we look at finance? What if we look at politics? What if we look at the big topic always, privacy and security, yours, your families, your companies, your governments, big topic today. So we're going to talk about how you can spot the hidden changes IoT is making in your city, your neighborhood, your office, and your home. We have a panel of three experts who are going to help us figure this out. They're smart, they're savvy, they're insightful, and they're here to share what they know. Let me just tell you who's on the panel and then we'll get started. First up, we're very pleased to welcome a newcomer to Game Changers. He is Charles Anderson. He leads the Mobility and Internet of Things practice for IDC Asia Pacific. Joining Charles on the panel is David Stephenson, no stranger to Game Changers. He's been on with us many, many times because this is his topic, his wheelhouse, and he's so smart. He's the principal at Stephenson Strategies, named after him. And rounding out the panel, another returning guest to Game Changers. It's Saj Kumar, Vice President of Digital Transformation and Internet of Things at SAP. Now let's circle back around the table to Charles, who has sent me a quote, a very interesting quote from George Santayana. Let me just read a little background here on the source. His full name is George, I probably should say Jorge Augustin Nicolas Ruiz de Santayana y Boras, known in English as, thank goodness, George Santayana. He lived from 1863 to 1952. He was a philosopher, an essayist, a poet, and a novelist. Originally from Spain, he was raised in educated in the U.S. from age eight and identified himself as an American, although he always kept a valid Spanish passport. Now, here's a little more. Santillana is properly known for aphorisms, aphorisms, you might say, such as, well, we're going to talk about the first one because that's the quote. The second one is, only the dead have seen the end of war. And the third one is, he defined beauty as pleasure objectified. I don't know if we have any problems with that. Here's the quote Charles Anderson has selected from George Santillana. Those who cannot remember the past are damned, condemned to repeat it. Charles Anderson, welcome to Game Changers. How are you today? I'm doing very well, thank you. Thanks for having me on. Oh, we're delighted. Where are you calling from, Charles? I know you're very far away. Where are you today? I'm in Singapore, so I live out here. So. Well, very nice to have you around the other side of the world. So, Charles, tell me, are you a big fan or follower of George Santayana and how does this quote apply to our topic? We're talking smart cities and IoT, something that uh, George Santiana never could have imagined in his wildest dream. So why don't you put it together for us? Well, I'll be honest with you. I learned more about, about him right now when you explained it than I've already known. So I know the quote and I like it. 
so I think it's very <laughs> applicable to what we're going to talk about today. Um, but thank you for that. I've been educated already on the show, so I'm happy. Um, the, the reason I like this quote is I've been focusing on emerging technologies for the best part of 20 years now. And what I've seen is us not really make the most out of it because we tend to make a lot of the same mistakes. We tend to push technology too much and not focus on the solution or the problems that these technologies can solve. And what I'm very worried about is we're going to make some of these same mistakes again with the Internet of Things. You mentioned in your opening about how much hype we're building up around this. And I think that's a risk because sometimes we run too far down this path of just thinking that, yes, this is great, I've got a new technology, but we don't understand the impact it's going to have us um, organizationally and our operations, uh, strategically for our business, or us as end users as well. So I think it's more of just a warning that we need to look back at the past and see what we've done wrong before, uh, before we just jump down this path of everyone getting in the bandwagon and saying, yes, this is going to change the world and it's going to be easy. I agree. Very, very well put, Charles. My question to you is uh, of the different things I mentioned where listeners may be surprised that IoT is changing cities in finance, politics, privacy, and security. I put an emphasis on those two. Do you agree that that's really where people need to know how IoT is helping or is everything equally important or anything else you want to mention? Funny enough for me, I I think it's a lot more about collaboration. That's what I look for. I mean, everyone's talks about security, um, but what I find when I talk to end users or enterprise customers is a lot of them say, I'm scared about the security risks that we're going to be facing with IoT, but if you ask them specifically, you know, what endpoints are they concerned about, what bits of data, is it data in transit, is it data residing somewhere, they don't have the answers yet. So a lot of the security stuff is even hyped up. Um, But like for me, what I really look for is more that collaboration. How are people going to work together? Because it's about getting different technologies together to create a single solution. It's not going to come from one vendor, um, so it's about collaborating that way. And on the end user side, it's about working not just with IT. You need to have your strategy teams, your operation teams. You know, the line of business has to be actively involved in developing this. Like this. So I think we have a long way to go still, but it's a lot more about finding ways to work together. And historically, we haven't been great at that, unfortunately. Mm, okay, so we're, we're going to talk from a cooperative viewpoint here. Thank you so much, Charles, and I'm very delighted that my trivia search on Wikipedia produced some interesting factoids for you to, to gobble up here today. My pleasure. And now let's welcome back David Stephenson, a, certainly not a stranger to Game Changers. And David has selected a quote from Carlo Ratti, R-A-T-T-I, The City of Tomorrow. That's the title of a book. Let me just read a little background here. The City of Tomorrow, subtitle, Censors, Networks, Hackers, and the Future of Urban Life, and it's part of the Future Series by Carlo Ratti and Matthew Claudel. Uh, an internationally, this is from uh, from Amazon, an internationally renowned architect, urban planner, and scholar describes the major technological forces driving the future of cities. And let me just read a little background here. We may as well do this, David, because this is really about what we're talking about. Since cities (laughs) emerged, cities emerged 10,000 years ago. They have become one of the most impressive artifacts of humanity. Wow. But their evolution has been anything but linear. Cities have gone through moments of radical change. I think that's where we are now. Turning points that redefine their very essence. In this book, a renowned architect, urban planner who studies the intersection of cities and 
technology argues that we are in such a moment. So let's just stop there. And by the way, they call for a new approach to envisioning cities called FutureCraft. That's one word. A symbiotic development. There you go, Charles. We're talking about collaboration. They're talking about symbiotic development of urban ideas by designers and the public that will enable us to collectively imagine, examine, choose, and shape the most desirable future of our city. So, David, here's the quote you selected from Carlo Ratti. A merger of top-down and bottom-up systems can invite widespread engagement and mean effective implementation of solutions, ideally resulting in livable urban spaces. I'm just going to say amen. David Stevenson, welcome back. What a great quote. Hey, Bonnie. You know, um, I I think this is very much in line with what uh, Charles was saying about the collaborative nature, and um, I have an interesting uh, personal angle on this that I am actually calling you today from Millis, Mass., which is a very small town, under nine, under 8,000, I guess it is, mm. people, uh, next door to Medfield, where I lived for 43 years, going through a very traumatic uh, downsizing now, but I moved to a wonderful little planned uh, uh, neighborhood in uh, Millis called Village Green, and felt like I was up to speed instantly because they use a wonderful app created by um, one of my real heroes, Joe Porcelli, called Nextdoor. And it's open to anybody in the neighborhood, and you can post all sorts of different things. And I'm not exaggerating. I felt within the first two weeks that we were here that um, I was more fully integrated into the neighborhood than basically any place I'd ever lived because hmm. of this high-tech, high-touch, you know, to go back to John Naisbitt, um kind of approach of, of using this wonderful little tool. And the, it's something that is being used in urban neighborhoods everywhere now to um, facilitate communication, collaboration uh, between people. And that's sort of the, the bottom-up side of uh, the IoT and smart cities, and then it's complemented by major initiatives from the top down as well. So very, very exciting time. It very much is. Was How many times have you moved in your lifetime, David, that this oh. was such an extraordinary experience, may I ask? Oh, it is. Well, um, I moved a lot when I was a kid, and I've lived in Medfield for 43 years. So that wow. has been... Uh, leaving there, even though we're only three miles down the road, has been a, a tough transition, shall we say. <laughs> it sounds to me like you have survived it extremely well, exceedingly well, <laughs> oh, David. Bonnie, I'm always up for a challenge. I know you are. I know you are. Thank you for the great quote and the reference, too. I'm always interested in learning new books and new reading opportunities, and maybe we'll have a chance to talk later about FutureCraft. And now let me welcome our third panelist. It's Saj Kumar at SAP. And Saj has sent us a quote from E.F. Schumacher. Let me read a little background here. Ernst Friedrich, that's E.F. Fritz is his nickname, Schumacher, lived from 1911 to 1977. He was an internationally influential economic thinker statistician and economist in Britain, serving as the chief economic advisor to the UK National Coal Board for two 
decades. According to the Times Literary Supplement back in 1995, Schumacher's 1973 book, Small is Beautiful, A Study of Economics as if people mattered, I love that, was among the 100 most influential books published since World War II. And he also published in 1977, A Guide for the Perplexed. Oh, what an interesting guy. Here's the quote Saja selected. Any intelligent fool can make things bigger, more complex, and more violent. It takes a touch of genius and a lot of courage to move in the opposite direction. Saj, welcome. How are you? I'm doing good, Bonnie. Thank Thank you for for joining us. We're delighted to have you back. Long time no talk. Tell me, are you a big fan of Schumacher? Because I love the titles of his books, Small is Beautiful and A Guide for the Perplexed. Hopefully we're not too too perplexed here. Uh, So talk to me about this quote. How does it relate to our topic of smart cities and the IoT? I actually read his book many years ago, so um, I was thinking about an appropriate quote, and I thought that uh, the number of cities getting into you know, this whole smart nation, smart city theme and concept and trying to make uh, things uh, intelligent for people to use, I think they're trying to get into very, very complex activities, and we need to make things more simple. And um, I go back to his book, and what... Um, what Schumacher essentially wrote uh, back in 1973 was that uh, we need to look at small, appropriate technologies to empower people. So he looked at simple solutions, and this was at a time when, um, in the, 19, the 60s and 70s when uh, the whole idea of you know, industrialization, making things very big, and he was against that. He said that's not what uh, people need. And when I look at uh, smart cities and uh, smart nations today, I think they're going down the same path of trying to solve all the problems that we have today with uh, this theme of uh, a smart city. And I think we need to look at uh, small problems and try to solve them quickly and uh, empower people. Interesting. You remember the old quote, Sash, how do you, the, the query was, how do you eat an elephant? And the answer is, one bite at a time. You remember that one? <laughs> is that what we're talking exactly, about? Yeah. Exactly. Thank you very much. Uh, other panelists in the past, somebody else recently quoted Schumacher, and I'm I'm always intrigued by his point of view. And this is a, a great quote for our topic today. Um, let me see. Also, uh, yeah, a lot of interesting trivia on him. I could go on for hours. Thank you all. Great quotes. Let's circle back to Charles Anderson in Singapore. Charles, we get a little up close and personal here at this part of the show. We want to know. We know you're calling from Singapore. I'd love to know exactly what time it is right now. And what are you drinking? or what are you planning to drink later in the day that's interesting and will tell us a little bit about who you are and and your philosophy on life or your personality, Charles Anderson. Okay. Um, Well, see, I have the benefit of being 10.15 in the evening here where it's uh, just, I think, 10.15 in the morning for you on the East Coast. Mm -hmm. Um, So for me, I won't be drinking much after this, but I thought I would splurge a little bit and make myself a cocktail. Um, so there's a, a New York uh, bartender that works out in Singapore, and he, we always mess around with chartreuse, which is um, a French herbal liqueur. And the one that we're making today, um, I haven't, I don't really know what the name is for it, but it's a really strange mixture. So it's with um, an Isla whiskey, so it's with Le Foie, um, and then it's mixed in with some chartreuse and then a chili bitters. Um, so you get this herbal, peaty, smoky, and spicy flavor coming through on it. It's served over rice. So um, mm. that's what I will be enjoying during this conversation this evening. Very interesting. Is there a name for that? I'm looking up uh, chartreuse cocktail recipes at Saveur, S-A-V-E-U-R.com. Favorite recipes with chartreuse, a liqueur with a bright herbal taste as well as original, vibrantly original as its color. Uh, do you know the name of that? 
Um, this cocktail, he just called it a smoky, but I don't think it's an official cocktail because even I was trying to look it up. I mean, I have it written down, and it's more one of these cocktails that it, it's a fun um, alcohol to sort of mess with because it adds flavorings into a lot of different things, and it can make some pretty interesting flavors. So it's a really an experimental one, um, and this one worked out well, but we both enjoyed it, and it's one of my favorite ones to have at home to finish off an evening. And tell me, is it green or yellow chartreuse? Have to know. I went with green, green chartreuse for this one. The yellow one's too sweet for me. Um, I'll use it in certain cocktails, but I much prefer the green one because it's more of the drier, bitterer flavor. All right, let me just read a little background on chartreuse. I think everybody will love it. Made in yellow and green varieties, chartreuse has been produced for centuries by French monks, according to closely held recipes said to include more than 130 herbs, flowers, and other what-have-yous. The result, a fascinating, unmistakable liqueur that adds complexity and depth to cocktails across the board. And the yellow is 80 proof. We're just going to leave it there. Well, enjoy whatever you're drinking, Charles. That sounds fascinating. I think we're all going to jet over. I think Ira Burke, the sponsor of the show who is listening, is going to fly us over to Singapore in his private jet. We'll join you tomorrow evening for cocktails. Are we invited, Charles? That sounds wonderful. Okay, good. Thank you. You're very charming. Thank you. Poor Ira. Ira, you're taking us in your personal jet. Better be a big jet. I'm afraid of flying. Okay, let's go to David Stephenson now in his new abode, as my dad used to say, his new residence. David, what are you drinking today that's uh, interesting, or what are you planning to drink later? Oh, Bonnie, you won't believe this one. First of all, I'm drinking it from an African wooden cup with, you know, we, you talked about elephants earlier. There is a carving of an elephant on the side. <laughs> this was given to us by a visitor recently, and she said that in Africa it would take a person six days to carve one of these beautiful mugs. They're absolutely incredible. And... Now, you may have to bleep me on this because oh, dear. I'm going to go a little off-color here. I am drinking, you will not believe this one, a coffee called Kopi Luwak. And I'm sure that our buddy Ira would serve this on that private check because it happens yes. to be the yes. most expensive coffee in the world. Yes. And it's, um, it's also called cat poop coffee because... Believe it or not, uh, we got this when we were in uh, Bali at uh, Christmas time. It is made from coffee beans that have been digested by the <laughs> Indonesian civet cat. And yes. um, believe it or not, it, <laughs> goes, it goes from there. <laughs> it goes from there. David, I don't want to shock you, but we have heard that on Game Changes. I think I've done a thousand shows for SAP in the past five and a half years, five years coming up actually to the anniversary next month. And we have heard it's Kopi Luwak, K-O-P-I-L-U-W-A-K. It's a civet coffee referring to the coffee that includes part digested coffee cherries eaten and defecated by the Asian palm civet. Anybody wants to know more, look it up. K-O-P-I-L-U-W-A-K. See, I rescued you, David Stevenson, you weren't saying anything literal, literally off-color at all because we've heard that story before, and I'm delighted that you're so enthralled with it, and it is the most expensive coffee. I'm not sure I'm going to try it, but Ira will have to put that on his jet. He says, uh, yes, Ira is typing to me in, in an instant message. He says, uh, yes, I'm always very generous on my private jet. <laughs> Ira 
is on board as the fourth and a half panelist because I'm the third and a half panelist. A wonderful Saj Kumar. I I don't know whether to challenge you, Saj. I know you're in Thailand today, but we've heard some pretty outrageous drinks from Charles and David. So what's fascinating that you're planning or thinking or dreaming about drinking, Saj Kumar? Nothing is uh, interesting or exotic <laughs> as uh, David and Charles and. Uh, Next time I'm in Singapore, I need to get Charles to uh, buy me the drink at that uh, bar. Uh, it sounds very interesting. And um, someone's got Happy to buy to me Luwak because I think it's the most expensive coffee in the world, I heard. Yep. So what I are you drinking? That at, uh, the Indonesian uh, airports once in a while. So um, I had a long day and um, was stuck in traffic for two hours, if you know, Bangkok traffic. So I'm back in the hotel. Uh, fortunately, I'm an hour behind uh, Charles. So it's uh, 9.24 right now. And uh, I'm having a Singa beer, which is a local Thai beer. And what's so special and, about uh, that beer? Does it have a special flavor or give you a special kind of a feeling? Is there something unique about it? No, it's, 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 a, it's a regular lager. This is the beer that I like to drink when I'm in Thailand. And um, it's, a, it's a lager that's been made uh, by this brewery, uh, for uh, Boonrad Brewery, uh, for a while. I think it's uh, maybe about 100 years, I think, in uh, Thailand, I guess. Thank you very much. We'll drink up. And we have a drink here from Ira Burke. He says he's on his third cup of his personal Tully's half-calf blend there in Stanford, Connecticut. He's revving up the personal jet. He's calling it Ira Ira Force One instead of Air Force One. It's Ira, which is a an anagram for, I'm sorry, Air, A-I-R, Ira, I-R. That's very clever, Mr. Burke. I really appreciate that. Yes, I told him, fly us to Singapore. Uh, I am drinking, by the way, I'm here in New York. It is 1025 a.m. We're having too much fun here, and we are talking about a very important topic. Smart City, Smart Streets, IOT to the Rescue Part 3. We've visited this topic a few times before. But just so everybody knows, I'm fine. I am drinking my usual cool, clear cup of cool, clear water. A cool, clear mug, and I have a green straw, a green straw for let cities be profitable enough to sustain and grow and harness the best technology to make everything connected, collaborative, collective, and the best places for people to live. That's my wish. So let's take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to regroup, and Charles Anderson at IDC calling in from Singapore will start off the roundtable. Stay tuned. You don't want to miss this. So don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. We will be right back. Justin out. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. The pace of innovation is moving faster than ever, and the future of business will be defined by how quickly business leaders adapt to accelerated ongoing change. Insights from totally new sources of data, sensors that capture and share what is happening in your business environment, and the tools to understand it and act on it. These are shaping the definition of future success. Join our experts as they analyze and discuss how business leaders can shape the future of change. Internet of Things with Game Changers is presented by SAP. Visit www.sap.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Listening to Internet of Things with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. 
And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Internet of Things with Game Changers. Here we go. Welcome back. We're talking about a very important topic. If you live in a city, near a city, by a city, you know someone who does this is important to you. Smart cities, smart streets, Internet of Things, IoT to the rescue, part three. Speaking with Charles Anderson at IDC, David Stephenson, S-T-E-P-H-E-N-S-O-N, Stephenson Strategies, and Saj Kumar at SAP. We've had a good opening segment, talked about some interesting quotes relating to our topic. We found out what they love to drink, really good stuff. And now we're going to open the roundtable. I'm looking at notes from Charles Anderson, and here's what we decided to talk about first. I'm just going to read a little bit from his notes, and then I will ask Charles to expand. Then we'll get David Stephenson and Saj Kumar in to hear their POV on the topic. So Charles says, mind the gap. The first step in most smart city initiatives is to get the stakeholders, including technology vendors and government organizations to agree they will collaborate to support the Smart City Initiative. The second step is the photo op, where the stakeholders announce their future Smart City vision. This is the easy part. Well, let's just stop there. Charles, I'd love you to take us through the rest of it. Please go ahead. Okay, um, that's the easy part, and that's where we're building up the hype. And this is what really happened about two years ago in Asia. Around that time, you had 200 Smart Cities announced in China, 100 in India, and every single major city across the region was coming out and doing these launches saying, we're going to become a smart city. Um, but the problem is steps one and step two are very easy. The challenges lie in step three to infinity, and that's what we call the gap. And this is where we build up the hype, and then everyone gets excited, and then we realize, wait a minute, how are we going to deliver this? Um, you know, well, there's the obvious things around security and privacy that we need to work about. Um, but there's a couple of other areas that we really didn't think about it probably initially when we did this. And the first part is very few cities are writing blank checks. Um, if you know of any, please do tell me because I'd love to go work for them. But most <laughs> of them don't really know where they're going to fund this. So they might have these great ambitions of trying to drive some new initiatives, but they don't have the money to drive it right now. So they need to start focusing things that will save money initially, and they can reinvest that to actually start driving other initiatives. The second thing is just about the whole planning. And if you think about a typical city government, there's going to be dozens of different organizations in there and a lot of them will have been doing IoT or machine-to-machine type solutions for 10 years plus already, whether it's around predictive analytics or asset tracking. So there are different stages of development. So if you want to have a smart city strategy and pull all these different groups together into a unified um, initiative, it becomes very challenging. And it's this hurting the cat's dilemma of how do you pull it all together. And let's face it, most governments don't really have a great PMO set up initially. So the ones we've seen be successful in Asia have started with that. In Singapore and Taipei, for instance, they focused on creating a very robust project management office to try and deliver all these solutions. And then the final challenge we face around this, and this is steps to infinity, is around the delivery. And this is the skill shortage that we face in most countries. And if you think about it, if all the smart cities did have the budgets and wanted to go forward and drive it right now, do we have the skills to actually deliver them and implement them? And it's not just the technology skills that I'm talking about, because it is you need operational skills, you need strategic skills, finance skills to go through this. And I just think right now we don't really have that. So we've seen a lot of the hype calm down in Asia over the last 12 months because people are realizing that, yeah, it sounds great on paper, but in reality it's a lot more complex than they probably originally thought, and they're now learning about what they need to do to make it successful going forward. Thank you, Charles. Great opening here. Let's bring in David Stephenson. David, a lot of good information from Charles. What's your thought on this? 
Oh, I agree, Bonnie. Um, I do think that one of the things that make and this is something a, a theme that I've uh, mentioned a couple times before in this series that uh, one of the things that does make the smart cities movement a little different from things we've done in the past is that because an awful lot of it has to do with shared use of open data that can be used by everybody from uh, city government and businesses right down to the neighborhood level and even just plain individuals, that uh, it allows for a lot more and, and demands, frankly, a lot more ambiguity rather than a just a top-down centralized plan that instead what we need is some top-down centralized things, but also a great deal of spontaneity. And you're, I love, I frankly never heard that elephant quote before. Uh, and I think that's extremely appropriate in this case because uh, one of the ways we can attack this is by small incremental changes um, right down on the um, on the personal level. Like one of the ones that I uh, think is so wonderful in this regard is uh, there are now some asthma inhalers that include GPS locators. And so when somebody mm -hmm. with asthma, and unfortunately, uh, largest uh, incidence of asthma is amongst uh, low-income urban dwellers, when somebody with an asthma inhaler who has the GPS component in it uh, takes a, a puff of their inhaler, it automatically notifies the public health authorities, mm -hmm. and they are able, because by, by mapping this kind of thing, they're able to see where the air quality hotspots are in the city. Now, you could um, install, have the, the, you know, the government install sensors all over the place. It would be amazingly expensive and complex to do that. Or, guess what? You just get people who need to use these inhalers to survive to become your uh, virtual eyes and ears. It's wonderful, absolutely incredible. It is incredible. It's life-saving and it's critical as well. And, and we've yeah. heard of other uses of IoT similar to what you mentioned with uh, with people who suffer from asthma. I think you can do it for heart attacks. And, and it, yep. so the, the big question about privacy, security, and how much information are you willing to share and with whom? And I can imagine some, some futuristic movies. Yeah, and that, taking I should this. mention that that is done on an opt-in basis too. Yes, yes. So very, you, very you important so people know. permission to do it. Yes, yep. very, very interesting. And that brings up demographics and what if seniors need it and their families have to volunteer the permission and the seniors find out you did what? You told my doctor what? Uh, oh, yeah. Well, Dad, we can save you from that heart attack or that stroke. When yep. you're in a cab on the way to a party, we can get you to critical care. So there are upsides and downsides. Saj Kumar, love to get your point of view on this, Saj. A lot of great information from Charles and from David. Go ahead, Saj. I agree with uh, Charles. I think you know uh, the initiative that started off in China, India, and Asia with the number of uh, cities, etc. I don't think it's uh, taken off the way they plan to. Uh, I go back to uh, you know the idea of uh, simplicity and and doing things uh, small and um, bring up an example of a city in Spain called uh, Hun. It's uh, spelled J-U-N, but it's pronounced Hun. And uh, this uh, entire city, I'm not sure if you know, runs on Twitter. So if you want to. Uh, uh, book an appointment with the doctor, you tweet uh, and send a message to the doctor. If you want to report a crime, 
uh, you tweet. So the entire city is pretty much uh, running on Twitter, and they managed to save a significant amount of money in, in communication costs by uh, allowing the citizens to use Twitter to, to communicate uh, with the public service officials. And uh, the second thing is he believes this uh, digital democracy has uh, enabled citizens to become more active in, uh, in working with the officials and with the government in improving the life. I think this is a, is a good example how you can use uh, uh, very simple techniques to solve problems. Saj, what's the name of the city you just mentioned? I have to tweet this. This is very interesting. Yeah, it's it's uh, spelled J-U-N. It's um, pronounced Hun in Spain. Hun. And wh- where is it again? In Spain. In Spain. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Tweeting away madly here. Very interesting. J-U-N. Okay. Very interesting. Charles, I'm going to circle back to you. We've had some interesting additional comments from your co-panelists. What are your thoughts? Anything you want to wrap up on? Um, yeah, I, I think sometimes when we, the, the shared open data issue is very interesting because we, we talk a lot about it, but what I'm worried about is we need to have the solutions in place before that even becomes an issue. And I think a lot of cities are still mm-hmm. trying to figure out what the solutions are there. And what we see in Asia, and we pretty much see this globally as well, most of the initiatives when smart cities start off aren't about sharing of personal data. They're much more about driving operational excellence within their business. So it could be asset tracking and logistics type solutions could be predictive analytics or doing things around smart buildings. So they actually start by doing things that are cost savings initiatives. So this will become a bigger issue in the future. For the time being, they're just trying to figure out what to do next. And I think these things are still a little bit farther away. Thank you very much. And we will get to some of that in our predictions round later in the show. Let me turn to David Stephenson. David, you have some interesting statistics here. Probably should have used them in my opening, but I didn't, so I'm going to give you a chance to talk. You say, according to the UN, 54% of the world's population was residing in urban areas in 2014. Now we're a little more than three quarters of the way through 20, or just about three quarters of the way through 2014, 2016. So that's recent, probably more. In 1950, 30% of the world's population was urban. So David, what's the, the significance of these statistics to our discussion of smart cities, IoT, collective thinking, motivation, doing good, having better cities? You want to reflect on that? Well, actually, Bonnie, since Halloween is coming, um, I'd <laughs> like to give uh, two more uh, statistics about cities that um, should be guaranteed to scare people to death. And after they wipe themselves up off the floor, um, <laughs> I hope this will motivate them. And that has to do what, with the single biggest problem that we're all facing now, global warming. And... Um, of all urban areas, according to a group called the C40 cities uh, that have spontaneously banded together in the last couple of years to uh, collaboratively fight global warming through smart city stuff. So 90% of all urban areas are coastal, and 70% of global CO2 emissions come from cities. So as of now cities really are the problem when it comes to global warming, and paradoxically, they can really drive the uh, the solution to it, and that is through increases in efficiency. And um, one of the the most incredible aspects of that is is transportation. We're seeing this uh, amazing uh, combination of uh, personal habit change in terms of uh, people, uh, particularly millennials, 
not buying cars and using services like Uber and Lyft. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we're finding, what I, I think I mentioned this once before on one of the prior shows, that in Boston now, the city actually has a uh, formal agreement with Waze, the navigation mm-hmm. uh, software app, to yep. uh, where they monitor that data on a real-time basis and use it to make real-time changes in traffic patterns and things like that. And then we've got, you know, large-scale uh, corporate things. Uh, you know, the news today that Apple may be buying a controlling interest in McLaren, the British uh, racing mm-hmm. company, as part of its smart car strategy. So it's wonderful because there is room in trying to fight this issue of global warming for everybody from individuals through city government to major, major corporations. And it doesn't have to, it would be nice (laughs) if it was all uh, coordinated, but it really doesn't have to be in order to be effective because each one of those uh, players can take a bite of the elephant. Mm-hmm. I have a quick question for you before I invite Saj and Charles to chime in. Sure. David, you have in your in your notes you have an example of municipal trash care using IoT and smart city philosophy, smart city technology. You want to tell us quickly about what the big belly is? I think everybody get a kick out of that. Oh yeah, that's one of my favorites. Um, I know uh, it's a local local company that has spread. I don't know if they're international at this point, but they're certainly all over the U.S. now. And uh, instead of the forlorn metal trash can that you'd municipal trash can that you'd see uh, typically lying on its side and dented on a mm-hmm. street corner in the city. These are these very attractive, massive um, metal um, things that are uh, compactors for trash so that each one of them is able to hold a lot more because, and it's solar powered. So you're not talking about any fossil fuels involved in in the whole thing as well. It also has a section for recyclables, and it's very hard in urban areas to find places where you actually can, you know, if you really want to do recycling, it's hard to do it. So that's another aspect of it. And they could have stopped there, and it would have been really cool, okay? But they went beyond that, and they also included... IOT communications oh. so that the uh, uh, big belly is able to notify the town, the city uh, DPW about how full it is so that instead of the past practice of scheduling pickups, just, you know, heaven only knows on the basis of uh, whatever factors it might have been in the past, uh, now they can do it on a real-time basis. That's one of the critical things about this real-time basis and based on how full the container really is. And an added little bonus, that exact same communication system uh, forms what's called a mesh network that's a self-forming, self-healing network. And uh, in going back to my days when I used to work in um, uh, Homeland Security and Disaster Assistance, 
uh, mesh networks in a disaster can be really phenomenal tools to form an ad hoc network for emergency communications. Out of a trash can? Give me a break. <laughs> David, that's amazing. That? And I, what a I looked it up. Anybody wants more information, it's bigbelly, B-I-G-B-E-L-L-Y.com. You can read all about it. It's used now in Amsterdam, Boston, Chicago, and more. Saj, I want to get you to weigh in here. We have a lot of information here from David on statistics on urban areas around the world. We're talking about transportation systems and ways and big bellies. <laughs> Nothing personal, especially to me. So, Saj, why don't you weigh in? Any favorite stories or what's your thought on the urbanization of the world? Yeah, I relate to what... Uh David mentioned uh, about Boston working with uh, ways to collaborate and see how transportation systems could be improved. Uh, there's a similar initiative that uh, Nanjing, the city of Nanjing in China, carried out about uh, three or four years ago. And uh, all of this was done without any investment in new technology or new sensors or, um, or very, very high uh, capital expense. So they essentially worked with uh, the 15,000 uh, taxis and taxi drivers to pick up their uh, geolocations. So, uh, and a taxi is a good representation of uh, city traffic because they kind of move through all the peak areas, city center to the airport, airport to uh, residential areas, and so on. So they use that information over six months to understand uh, entire traffic patterns, to see uh, where are the choke points, what do they need to do. And all of this is done by picking up kind of GPS data from the, tra- from the taxis and, uh, and putting that up in their central control room and analyzing traffic flows. Now, this has now become mainstream, and they're now doing this on a daily basis to see what can they do to improve, you know, transportation systems within the city like uh, Nanjing. And, and, and obviously in China with the, with the high population and um, obviously uh, also the global effects of global warming uh, with, hay, with the smog and other, other factors, they need to do uh, things like this to reduce pollution from a vehicular traffic. And this would be a good way to go about doing that. Thank you. Charles Anderson, thoughts, any examples you'd like to share? We're on a roll here. I'm going to go back to the big belly because I, I love this the story <laughs> about the garbage cans because when I first heard about it, I was fascinated because it does make a lot of sense. But, you know, I love talking about how you can't just think about it from the technology perspective. You can do something technically. It doesn't mean it's going to work in real life. And there was a story maybe a couple months ago that came out of the northeast of England, and they had connected up all the garbage cans in the city. So they would basically know exactly when it was time to fill them up. And what they found is that the people who were collecting the trash did not change their schedules at all because what they didn't want was to have to pick up full garbage cans because that's actually harder for them to do and they do less of it. They don't work as long. So even though we had the technology that could actually allow us to improve that whole process, the people, the end users of it basically just ignored it and still did the job the way they were doing before. So this is one of the challenges why we need to make sure that we get those end users involved in the design of the solutions um, so we don't put something out there that becomes a white elephant. Um, but I mean, I do like the big belly of the concept, but I, I just love that story from England because even though this, we can make this great technical solution to solve how we pick up garbage, um, us as humans sort of changed it and made it not efficient. Thank you very much. David, I think we've had uh, enough of the big big belly. I'm going to go to the gym right after this, I swear. Um, well, I don't belong to a gym. They have a, they have a treadmill downstairs. I'll do that. Uh, I want to move over to, uh, by the way, Aruba is now touting itself as a smart city, connecting the entire island infrastructure with IoT. So if anybody wants to look up Aruba next time you go vacationing there, you might see some interesting things. Saj, I'm looking at your notes here. Um 
Where would you like to go? We've already talked about trying to solve complexity problems by uh, trying to accomplish too many things. Do you want to talk about that, or do you want to talk about uh, the role of communication systems and infrastructure? I'd like to go there. Is that okay, Saj? Yeah, that's fine, yeah. Yeah, let's go. So let me just read this. Asaj says, the role of communication systems and infrastructure with connected streetlights, buses, traffic lights, security cameras, the data explosion is going to cause two issues. I'm going to let you explain the issues to us. Asaj, please go ahead. Traveling throughout Asia and calling in from Bangkok just now, you'll uh, realize that uh, there are lots of places in Asia, in Indonesia and Philippines, where communications um, is really bad. You, you, you are end up with a signal that shows an E, which basically means that you can't transmit any data or you can't receive anything. And when you talk about uh, cities becoming smart and uh, trying to get sensors connected to the big belly type of garbage cans, your basic problem is that you know, your infrastructure doesn't support any of this communication. So I think that's where we, we're going to see an evolution from from you know, from 2G, 3G to 4G, and even beyond that, to make sure that you can connect all these sensors and things and garbage cans uh, to the network, so that citizens can see some benefit from this. Uh, the the second part of the communication, apart from putting all these things together, is the cost. Today, data costs are, are prohibitive uh, for individuals, and when you start communicating from sensors, you you just can't go with the current data plans that you have. You have to work out to uh, cheaper ways of of, uh, of uh, transmitting data, and um, and also lower bills for uh, enterprises or people. The 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 second area is the analysis. When you have these large amounts of data, how do you how do you analyze this data in real time? Because you're going to end up with a lot of noise. You know, you you start picking data from sensors and in in uh, temperature sensors or or. Uh, uh, smog sensors, all these things that uh, that are sending in data, you're going to get lots of it. And a lot of it could be noise. I'm not interested in all of that, right? So mm-hmm. we're going to see uh, an evolution in um, in sensing technologies where you would start uh, analyzing all this information at the edge, at the device itself, to make sure that whatever information needs to be sent to people standing in the vicinity, vicinity can be sent through maybe an app or a or a message, and the second part is how do you take all this information and make some sense out of it back and maybe in, in a data center way you would apply some machine learning techniques. So these are the two things, communication and the second part is the analysis. Thank you very much. Let's circle around to Charles. We have just still about uh, three minutes until I have to go to the crystal ball predictions round. So, Charles, why don't we get a couple of very brief comments from you on what Saj just chatted about, and David, a very brief from you, and then I'll go back to Charles to start the predictions. Go ahead, Charles. Sure, that's great. Um, I, I like this idea about the um, analyzing the data at the edge, and I think that will be a big topic in the coming 12 months. We've seen a lot of the new vendors coming out with uh, gateway products that can do it. What the real challenge around it is finding people who understand what to do with it. Technically, mm-hmm. it's possible today. What we need people is to start looking at to figure out what types of information can we actually analyze there and act upon at the edge that will drive a financial value. So what I keep looking out for are those use cases where it makes sense, whether it's um, if you're doing HD video in a city center where you know there's supposed to be nobody there. Why send um, a feedback all night long? You can do exception processing where you actually see somebody and then you can start sending the feed. So you find ways to cut your costs on it. Um, But that's one that I really am going to be following quite closely over the next 12 months. 
Thank you very much. We're not ready. We're going to come back to you for predictions. David, any thoughts on what Saj introduced to us a few minutes ago? Yeah, I agree. Uh, I think uh, edge computing is going to be absolutely essential because of the uh, quantity of data that is going to be gathered with the IoT. It's truly mind-boggling, and it makes no sense to bring all of that data into a data pool that's centralized as opposed to analyzing it at the edge and then reporting only the uh, significant critical data. And uh, that's going to be a, a big, big change and absolutely necessary. Thank you very much. Uh, Saj, one sentence on what they added to your topic. Anything you want to wrap up on that one? You good? I, I think um, uh, the, uh, the analysis part that uh, Charles has mentioned, I think that's, uh, I think 12, 12, 12 to 24 months, we're going to see more compute on the edge, and that will actually help uh, the analysis portion. I agree with Charles in terms of finding the people who can make sense of all this uh, data and also noise that's coming in from all these. Terrific. Things. Yep, got to get through the noise. Charles Anderson, IDC, let's talk. Predictions. I'm going to give you 60 seconds. Look ahead. Tell me in the crystal ball in your experience in Singapore, in IDC, any crystal ball you want to look into right now, what will change dramatically at some point in the future? Tell me when that is. I love the year 2020. You can pick any time you want. That would be worthy of us getting together again and talking about it. So let's talk smart cities, IoT in the future. Charles, 60 seconds. Go. Okay, so when we come back in 2020, believe it or not, we're going to be talking a lot about the same things. But what will be happening is it will all be below-the-surface innovation for smart cities in the coming few years. A lot of the governments don't invest heavily in their infrastructure, so even though they want to do a lot of these solutions, they're going to have to invest heavily to just upgrade their solutions for cloud, for mobility, for analytics, so they can then have a platform to actually roll the solutions out. It doesn't, it's not a bad thing. This is evolutionary, so I think it's got a long tail with the opportunities. Um, other things I would watch out for is I think some of the low-power WAN initiatives in the next couple of years could have a lot of problems because I think there's some great new solutions that could empower and enable smart cities across Sigfox, Laura, and then when they launch MDIoT, what few people are talking about right now is that connectivity cost is going to go to zero and it's caused a lot of chaos because operators aren't going to get money on it. They need to move into software and services, and there's only a handful of operators in the world that will be able to do that. Thank you very much, David Stephenson. One minute, David. Look at the clock. David, okay. what do you see in the future? What's in the Stephenson strategy crystal ball? Talk to me. All right. Hey, Ira, I want to apologize for uh, raiding um, one of your local companies in uh, Connecticut and uh, getting them to relocate. I'm speaking of GE. And uh, the great thing is they are moving to Fort Point Channel in Boston, and they are already realizing that they, as a company, in terms of their operations, are going to be very vulnerable because of this issue of global warming and flooding of that particular area. And it's very cool to see that they're starting to get involved in collaborative responses to um, uh, reduce global warming and to protect our cities. And I really do think that when you've got survival uh, as a motivator, and that really is the case here. We're going to see amazing innovation from cities all over the world, including places like Africa in the next uh, uh, five years. And the great thing about it is it's going to be shared by all those cities. So it's going to um, speed the adoption everywhere. 
Thank you very much, David Stephenson and Saj Kumar. You know what? They went so, they were so concise, Saj. I'm going to give you a full minute and a half for your prediction. So, Saj, look deep into that SAP crystal ball or whatever one you're looking at. What do you see coming down the pike that would be new and exciting about this topic? Smart cities and the IoT. Saj. Uh, number one, I think uh, the world of manufacturing is going to change uh, dramatically, especially in, uh, not just in, uh, advanced economies like the U.S. and Western Europe, but also in, in countries like China and India. And IoT, I think, is going to play a big part in, in manufacturing. And why, why it's related to the whole concept of smart cities is because I think uh, governments need to look at the whole concept of manufacturing and how you can generate jobs. And that's where uh, the concept of 3D printing or additive manufacturing comes about, new skills, new technologies to uh, enable people and generate a new type of jobs. Uh, and that's something that I, I think is going to impact uh, citizens in a big way uh, with uh, manufacturing changing dramatically with IoT. Uh, the second Same. thing that I'm, I yep. think I'm, I'm going to see, or at least all of us are going to see in the next couple of years, is uh, a drop in, uh, in communication costs. And uh, mm. I think there's a lot of pressure uh, with, uh, with new entrants coming in. There was a launch of a, of a telco in India last uh, couple of weeks ago where... Uh, uh, essentially, they said all voice calls are free, and all they will do is charge for data. And uh, I think that's something that's going to impact uh, not just um, the current way of communication, but also IoT sending data. I think that's uh, uh, and also new technologies like um, uh, narrowband IoT, Sigfox, LoRa. These technologies would also reduce the cost of data coming from these uh, sensors. The third prediction is uh, on, on transportation. I think uh, we're going to see. Uh, uh, big change in um, in the way people travel, and I think David alluded to that with uh, the millennials not uh, not buying their own personal vehicles, but using mm-hmm. other forms of transport uh, or buying electric cars. I think that's going to have an impact on uh, on transportation. Thank you very much. I have a message. Thank you, Saj. Great predictions. David Stevenson. I have a message from Ira Burke. He says, "Send GE back to Connecticut now." <laughs> okay, there's the message. I have a quick bonus question. Hey, wait, We're almost I out of time. He's got Massachusetts roots. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. You, you'll fight that out with him later over some chartreuse. I have a quick, quick bonus question for each of you, yes or no, real fast. We have millennials, part of the workforce. They're, uh, they're edging up to age 35 now. They're not kids anymore. Gen Z, mobile first, mobile only. Will they impact the initiatives, the urgency for new initiatives in smart cities? Yes or no, Charles Anderson? Yes, definitely. David Stevenson, yes or no? Oh, yeah. They only want to live in cities. There you go. Saj Kumar, yes or no? Absolutely. Going back to the example of the Spanish town. Thank you very much, all three of you. Charles Anderson, IDC, such a pleasure. David Stephenson, all the time. Saj Kumar, welcome back. Lovely to have the three of you. Great conversation. Thank you to Justin, our engineer. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, and here is my, oh, I wish it was really a smart seatbelt I was talking about. Maybe one day it will be. Maybe there is one. I don't know. So here's my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt, smart or not. Be smart. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today, today, today. Have a great one. I'll be back this afternoon with another live episode of Think Big Work Small with Game Changers, 2 p.m. Eastern on the Business Channel. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Internet of Things with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. 
To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again on Thursdays at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week. We'll be right back. 